0: Joshua chapter 2, and it's the reading of the whole chapter. Just wait for everyone to flick that up and then we'll start reading. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, they left. It was time to close the gate. When it was time to close the gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, so that you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter into the land. You have tied tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside of the house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made, you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and as she tied the scar- and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us.
1: Thanks so much uh, for reading for us. Chris, let me uh, just sort myself out a little bit here. I don't think I need this, pop this to one side. Wonderful. We are um, carrying on in our kind of uh, teaching series in Joshua, and and like I've said before, it's an unfamiliar world to us, and we are gonna come up against things that will grate against our, our 21st century Western sensibilities. And our hope is that when we do, we'll try and explain some of those things. Because on first reading, some of what we might look at kind of challenges what we think is right and fair and good. So so please bear with us as we go through. We'll stop. We'll think about why the Lord commanded certain things, uh, why certain things happened, and we'll deal with those as we go through. Let me pray as we uh, come to the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for giving us your word, for giving us the whole of uh, the Bible. We thank you for books like Joshua, which speak to us from a completely different culture and yet proclaim the same wonderful truths about who you are and about your son, the Lord Jesus. Please, this morning, fill our hearts with such joy as we reflect on your character in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I think to to, to, get a, a, to feel the impact of, of chapter 2 of Joshua, you need to have some sense of the background. You need to know that God's people, the Israelites, are about to enter the land of Canaan. And it is a land that God has been promising to them for, for many years a place where they can live. And they've build, been building up to this moment for, for at least the last 40 years. But actually, the promise goes back even further than that, to the time of Abraham. And that means for years, the line has been, we're going in. We're going to take the land of Canaan. We're going to stop the cruelty of the peoples of that land. We're going to put an end to child sacrifice. That was common in the land of Canaan. And we're going to stop these people. Now we'll come back in a later sermon, to think about why God was willing to tell his people to go in and invade a land that wasn't theirs. We'll we'll think about that another week. But But for now, that has been the line. We're going in to stop these people, and God is giving us the land. But here's the problem. If that's all you've heard, then there is a danger, isn't there, that you are going to write off every person in the land of Canaan. You're going to assume that they are all beyond help. You are going to be tempted to demonize them or dehumanize them in some way. And so before his people go in, the Lord does something brilliant. He makes them come face to face with one person in the land of Canaan, Rahab. Because when you talk in generalities, when you talk about this people group or this nation, it's very easy to demonize, isn't it? It's easy to write everyone off, to tar everyone with the same brush. But when you meet one person, when you encounter individuals, well, it becomes a little bit more complicated. And so the Lord lets his people see his kindness to Rahab. And actually, more than that, through Rahab, the Lord teaches his people about his ongoing kindness to them as well. Let's see that uh, in our first point. The kindness of God, he reassures our hearts. The kindness of God, he reassures our hearts. Now, if you were with us last week, back in chapter one, you, you had heard the Lord promising Joshua and all the people, I am going to give you the land. And Joshua and all the people say, brilliant. And by the end of chapter one, there's lots of talk about being strong and courageous. We're going in, it's going to be fine. And so you expect chapter 2 to start how chapter 3 starts, with Joshua and all the people moving out and crossing into the land of Canaan. God's going to give you the land. We're strong. We're courageous. Let's go and take it. But that isn't how chapter 2 starts. And it doesn't start that way because despite all the talk of being strong and courageous, it looks like Joshua might be having one or two doubts. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Joshua secretly sent two spies. But what is the word secretly doing there? Who is it a secret from? If it's saying Joshua kept the spies a secret from the people of Jericho, well, that's obvious. Spies by nature are secretive. You don't first check with a country. Do you mind if we send in a couple of spies? Now instead, more likely, he kept the spies secret from the people of Israel. You see, maybe there is a, a bit of doubt in Joshua, a bit of doubt that he wants to hide from the rest of the people. Maybe he just wants some reassurance that this is going to work. Some confirmation that this mission to take Jericho is not going to end in failure. When we pack for a holiday, we get the kids to pack their own stuff now. They're kind of old enough. And after a few minutes, you know, Elijah will come down and say, I've packed. And I want to believe him. I really want to trust him. But I have doubts, and so I have a quick look, and it's a packing disaster. Either it's all underwear or it's no underwear. Anyway, you see, the Lord has said to Joshua, I'm going to give you this land. You just need to go and take it. And you sense Joshua wants to trust God, but he has his doubts. And so he sends out some spies to look for the weak spots, to work out whether it is really possible to defeat the town of Jericho. Ah. And it would have been an okay plan. You know. Ideally, just trust the Lord and go in and take it. But, but okay, send in some spies if you really have to have some assurance. But the problem for Joshua is that the two guys he sends in are, are laughably incompetent. Let me show you what I mean. When they get to Jericho, where do they go first? Verse one. They went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Joshua tells them to spy out the land, to look for weak spots. Where do they end up? In a brothel. Maybe they were thinking, this is good cover. Nobody's going to suspect two guys walking into a brothel. But that doesn't work either. Verse 2 The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Within a few minutes of arriving, everybody in Jericho seems to know that they are there. And when it comes to finding stuff, that doesn't go too well either. You see, verse 6 where are they? Rahab had taken the spies up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. They are covered in all these stalks of flax. If you wanted to know about the quality of Jericho's agricultural industry, then these are exactly the kind of spies that you want. If Joshua wanted to know about the defensive layout of Jericho or the number of soldiers guarding the city, then these spies are not so good. You know, I never thought I'd reference Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in a sermon, but if you've ever seen the film version, there are these two spies sent to try and capture the car, but they are utterly useless. They first try and blend in by pretending to be two English detectives called Basil and Cuthbert, but they overdo the Englishness, try to blow up a bridge, they blow up themselves, and eventually they steal the wrong car, That's the kind of thing going on in Joshua 2. And after all this, what do they actually discover? What information can they bring back to Joshua? Only what they already knew. Listen to what Rahab said to them, verse 11. I know that the Lord has given you the land. That is exactly what God said to them in chapter 1. He said to Joshua, he said to the people, I am going to give you the land. They go to all this trouble, they make a hash of it, they risk their lives and the lives of Rahab and her family, and to what end to be told something they already knew? But here is the thing. Despite Joshua's doubts, despite the incompetence of the spies, God is kind. He reassures their hearts. So verse 23, then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. I think that would have been an awkward conversation. Uh, They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Should Joshua have been convinced that God was going to give them the land from chapter one? Yes. Should the spies have said to Joshua, look, it really doesn't matter what the defensive layout of Jericho is. God has said he will give it to us. Yes. God has said he will give us the land. Should the word of God have been enough for Joshua and the spies? Yes, of course it should. But God is kind. He allows the spies to make it to Jericho and he speaks to them through Rahab, I will give you this land. It is not new information. They've heard it before. But hearing it again from the lips of Rahab reassures them. And of course he's kind to us in similar ways, isn't he? The Lord has made promises to us. Promises that Jesus will return. Promises that he is for us and that he is with us. Promises that he works all things for our good, that our lives are in his hands. But we sometimes struggle to believe, don't we? We sometimes doubt. And in his kindness, the Lord finds ways to reassure us of his promises. He might give us obvious answers to our prayers to convince us that he really does hear us when we pray. He might put the right people in our lives at the right time to say the right thing. They don't tell us anything new that we haven't already heard in the scriptures, but it has the impact of reassuring our hearts. Or he might give us one of those kind of coincident moments when we hear some news just at the right time or something works out and it reassures us that God really is working in my life. We don't learn anything new about God through these things probably should just trust his word. But the Lord is kind. He reassures our hearts that we might believe his promises even more. The Kindness of God, he reassures our hearts. Secondly, the kindness of God, he offers mercy to all. Now remember what I said at the start. For the last 40 plus years, God's people have been building up to this moment of taking the land of Canaan. For 40 years, they've heard about the cruelty and the injustice of the people living there, and it would have been very easy to write everybody off. And then they hear about Rahab. And at first sight, all their presumptions about the people living in Canaan seem to be confirmed. Rahab is a prostitute. You could imagine them thinking, that fits. Typical. Wouldn't expect anything more from a Canaanite. And she's a liar, a deceiver. Now, for good reasons, but that would have been something that stood out. Verse 4, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said to the, 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 the guards who come looking for the spies, Yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know where they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. It's a lie. It's not true. She's a a prostitute. She's a liar. And if you're reading this for the first time, there is some huge suspense in verse 8. Rahab has just got rid of the king's men who had come to capture the spies. But at this point, we don't know what her intentions are. We don't know why she has chosen to hide them. And the narrator has been very clever because a couple of times he uses a word that has a sexual meaning. In verse 1, the word stayed is the word lie down. And up until this point in the Old Testament, very often it's used to describe sexual relationships. You get that word again in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof. Some hint of sexual relationship and so there's this suspense what is Rahab the, the prostitute's intention as she climbs onto the roof what is she going to do with these men and the narrator is clever because by using these ambiguous words he's drawing out our own prejudice read this for the first time read it carefully and you're thinking I know what Rahab's about I know what Rahab's doing. She's deceiving these spies. She's going to sleep with them. She's going to make fools of them. And just when you feel confident in your prejudice, the narrator slaps you in the face with verse nine. Rahab climbs onto the roof, not to sleep with the men, but to proclaim the glory of their God. Verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It's brilliant, isn't it? Rahab gives one of the best declarations of faith in the living God in the whole of the Old Testament. Our prejudice would have written Rahab off. But God did not, and nor should we. See, the temptation for the Israelites standing on the edge of Canaan was to think all these people are worthless. All these people are beyond hope. Sometimes that's our temptation as well, isn't it? There are certain people we look at and think they are beyond hope. Jesus will never rescue them. But don't let your prejudice write off Rahab. Don't let your prejudice write off anybody. God's kindness stretches to all. About um, a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor in English at Syracuse University. And she described herself as the most unlikely convert to Christianity. A bit beyond the screen, we'll see how she described herself. I considered myself an atheist. I found Christians to be difficult, sour, fearful, and intellectually unengaged people. And I lived in a monogamous lesbian relationship and politically supported LGBT causes. I approached the Bible with an agenda to tear it down because I firmly believed that it was threatening, dangerous, and irrational. She does sound like an unlikely believer. But then one day she received a letter from a pastor in a local church, a guy called Ken Smith. And this pastor didn't write her off He graciously engaged with her, gently challenging her assumptions about Christianity. He opened up his home. He showed her hospitality with his wife. Uh, And all of this triggered something until eventually she came to know Christ. And in the account of her testimony, she puts it like this. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover and an hour later sat in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Brothers and sisters, we must repent of our prejudice. A prejudice which means we write people off. A prejudice, even worse, that means we think we are the kind of people that God should save. No, it takes the same amount of grace and patience and love and mercy for God to save us than it did for God to save Rahab or anyone else we can think of. Repent, brothers and sisters, of our prejudice. It's going to show itself in different ways, but let us see it and let us repent of it. The Lord did not write off Rahab. He didn't write off Rosaria Butterfield. He didn't write off me and he didn't write off you. His kindness stretches to all, all kinds of people. Finally, we see something else. The kindness of God, he gives us a model. And we, we, we love to find um, kind of models, people that we can look to and, and imitate in the Bible. Got three daughters, so I, I might, you know, sometimes say to them, well, look, be, be like Mary, of, of Mary and Martha fame. Jesus came round to visit and Mary sat at Jesus' feet to listen to him. Be like her. Or, or Ruth in the Bible showed loyalty and kindness to her elderly mother-in-law, Naomi. She trusted God's promises. Be like her and then you get to Rahab, prostitution, deceit. Not not so sure that she is the example to follow. But the rest of the Bible disagrees. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew makes a point of honoring Rahab. He shows us that she is part of the line that eventually leads to Jesus, the savior of the world. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told by faith The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In James chapter two, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? The Faith of Rahab, the life of Rahab, is honored in the New Testament. She is a model for us to follow. And what does Rahab model to us? Two things, probably loads, but just two here. She shows us courageous faith. In the middle of a city set against God, she makes this beautiful declaration, verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. City of people set against the Lord. She makes that kind of claim. Back in 1989, there was an uprising in China in Tiananmen Square. People were calling for more freedoms. The communist government wasn't keen to give them those freedoms. And so they sent in soldiers and tanks. And there's this iconic picture of one single man, tank man, he's called, standing in front of a tank. And if you watch the video, you can see that every time the tank tries to go around him, he sidesteps to the the right or to the left, and he continues to stand in front of the tank. One man against the communist government of China. In her own way, that is what Rahab is doing. In a city of people opposed to God, she stands up and says, the God of the Bible is the one true God of heaven and earth. She chooses God, even though everyone else is against him. That is courage, the kind of courage that we need to stand with Christ and his teachings even if everyone else is against him. And it's not reckless courage. You know, when when, when the king's men turn up to her house, she doesn't blurt out to them, I believe in the God of Israel. No, she's wise, she's careful, she she preserves her life and the life of the spies. There, There is a balance here. On the one hand, yes, we must have courage to stand publicly with Christ and his teachings, but we don't need to be reckless. We don't need to go into the office tomorrow or the classroom, bank holiday, Tuesday. Don't need to go into the office or the classroom on Tuesday, stand up and say, excuse me, judgment is coming, hell is real, you must believe in the Lord Jesus. But I imagine for most of us, we're not in danger of showing reckless courage. I suspect we're in danger of showing no courage at all, of never publicly standing with Christ and his teachings. Learn from Rahab. Have courageous faith. But also, have patient faith. In verse 12, just after she has declared her faith in God, Rahab pleads for her life. Now then, she says, please swear to me, talking to the spies, by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And the spies agree, verse 14, they promise to save her. But what happens next? She and her family are not saved there and then. The spies leave. She has to wait. She has to wait for her salvation. And so she asks for a sign. And after some back and forth, the spies give her a sign. Verse 17. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. Rahab has her sign, a red cord to hang from her window. It is a sign of the promise of her salvation. Every time Rahab looked at the cord, it was an assurance, God will come for me. He will save me. And in some ways, this sign seems like a last-minute thought, kind of random. And spies are hanging from the window, thinking, great, she wants a sign. What are we going to give her? Ah, this this, this cord, that'll do. The thing that's kind of letting us out of the window. We'll use that. That can be the sign. But for those who know more of the story of God and his people, this red cord has a much richer meaning. You see, every year God's people celebrated the Passover. They remembered how God rescued them from Egypt. Every year they would spread the red blood of a lamb on the outside of their house, like the red cord hanging from the house of Rahab. Every year they would remember how the blood of the lamb protected all those in the house, marked them out for protection just like all of Rahab's family had to be in her house if they were going to be protected, marked out for protection. In God's wisdom, the red cord was not a random sign. It pointed back to God's great rescue. In the Passover, a family waited patiently in a house. They knew they would be rescued because the red blood of the lamb marked them out for rescue. In the siege of Jericho, Rahab and her family waited patiently in a house and they knew they would be rescued because the red cord on the outside of the house marked them out for rescue. And brothers and sisters, like Rahab, we wait patiently for our final rescue. Our Lord will come for us and we know he will come for us because he has marked us out Not with the blood of a lamb, but with the blood of the lamb. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we are marked out as belonging to God. And we can be certain that he will come for us and rescue us. We are Christians. We are marked out as his people. Let me just finish with this illustration. In 1975, the Vietnam War was ending in disaster for the United States. On the 30th of April, they had to flee the capital, Saigon, and the only way out was through the American embassy with helicopters trying to rescue hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And outside the compound of the embassy, crowds were growing. They were pushing down the doors, they were trying to get in. Until eventually, the only way out was from the rooftop by a helicopter, and in the end, there were only 13 US Marines left, barricaded themselves on the rooftop waiting for rescue they had no radio no communication all they were told was you are marines we will come back for you and they had to wait and wait and the doors were being pounded down until eventually the helicopter comes and picks them up you are marines you've been marked out we will rescue you brothers this is we are christians <laughs> We are children of God. We have been marked out by the blood of Christ. Our faith in him, the spirit has been put in us. He will come for us. We will be rescued as we wait patiently. And patient faith, waiting for our final rescue, grows courageous faith, doesn't it? Our God is coming for us. And may he find us like Rahab. Boldly, brilliantly, courageously declaring our loyalty to him above all else, standing publicly with Christ and His teachings. The kindness of God. He gives us a model to follow. remember to quiet, then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. But as we wait, we wait with confidence. We wait with certainty. We know the Lord Jesus will come for us. Either this side of death or the other side of death, he will come for us. Because he has marked us out as belonging to him. Please keep us trusting in the Lord Jesus. Please continue in your kindness to reassure our hearts. And as we reflect on your incredible grace towards us. May we long for all kinds of people to hear of the Lord Jesus and find life in him. I pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.